turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18. Well, we like guarantees in life, right? Uh, some folks would like some sort of guarantee on what's going to happen on the Super Bowl, and uh, I'm not going to give you my prediction. You'll talk to me after service. But we like guarantees, but there's, a, there's only a few of them. You know, there's, there's taxes and death, right? We, we're familiar with that. But let me tell you, there is another guarantee. It's one that we don't really think about. In fact, we wish it didn't exist. But it is the guarantee that you're going to get hurt. Someone is going to hurt you in this life. Now, there's petty little grievances and problems and hurts. And then there's some that are more severe. And these hurts can come from a variety of places. They can come from folks we don't even know, uh, passing encounters, co-workers. But then when it gets to people that we love, well, I can strike really close to home. In fact, it can strike in our home. And some of these hurts from people that we have loved or, or truly love deeply, what they do is they just literally tear a hole into our heart. And it grieves us. And it's painful. And yet, every single one of us, you, me, we all are going to have to make a choice on this issue of forgiveness. Now, to talk about forgiveness, that's a, that's a pretty fascinating theological, psychological conversation. And it's one thing when it's some sort of just a little petty grievance or we haven't been ripped off or hurt or dumped or maligned or misused. But when we're in the midst of it, when we feel the pain of an infliction that has been placed upon us, that's when this isn't just a discussion. This is a choice, a choice between life and forgiveness or unforgiveness and bitterness. And friends, until we come to understand what forgiveness is, how often we are to do it, and why this is critically important, it is very likely that you and I will just remain as people who will forgive only with conditions. Now, what in the world is forgiveness? We hear about it. We know that we should do it. As Christians, we've kind of heard like, yeah, we're supposed to forgive. But what does it really mean to forgive? Well, just a simple definition is that it's a Loving, voluntary cancellation of a debt. It is to literally release someone from that which you think they owe or they actually actually literally owe you. So when you forgive someone, what it does is it allows those obstacles to be removed and allow for the functioning of a loving, honest, growing relationship. It means that when you've forgiven, you're no longer looking for retaliation. You no longer have the urge to strike back but you've literally released someone. Now, that relationship may be changed. That person that hurt you may have may no longer even kind of be a part of your life. But you're no longer under the bondage of unforgiveness. It is really interesting as we've made our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Do you remember last week, Jesus talked about how do you restore someone who has fallen in sin? Do you remember that? Because God loves his people and he wants them to experience the restoration and the fullness of his forgiveness. It's on the heels of that comes this very pointed discussion on what does forgiveness really look like. Now, the disciples were familiar with Jesus talking about forgiveness. I mean, you can't miss it. He gave sermons, and when he gave sermons, he spoke about forgiveness. Even in his prayers, his private discourses, there were always these lessons about forgiveness. And Peter, you got to love Peter. Peter asked the question that everybody is thinking. 
I don't know what you think about the Apostle Peter, but I praise God for Peter because Peter is like the guy like in class. You remember when like the professor or the teachers talking about all this stuff and everybody's sitting there going like, is this going to be on the test? You know, because that's really what you want to know. And then some guy like, hey, 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 I just got a question. Is this on the exam? You know, and like, you know, the teacher's kind of taken back, but everybody's really thankful because we want to know, does this really matter? Or if you've played in athletics, uh, you've got a coach and the coach goes, all right, you're running. And they're like, oh, okay, we're running. And then there'll be some guy, and he'll go, well, like, how many laps were you thinking? You know? And they'll ask that question, and everybody's really relieved because you want to know how to pace yourself. And the coach goes, a lot more than you were thinking. Get running, Peter. Okay, and everybody starts running. Well, Peter asked the question that everybody is thinking about. And notice in verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him. He asked the question, how many times should I forgive him? Now, you know, Peter, once his mouth gets going, he's got to keep it moving. There's just something about that momentum. He can't just ask a question. No, Peter's got to look good. And boy, he's going to think that Jesus is going to give him another one of these commendations. Not one of these condemnations. Remember when Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. Not one of those. He's looking for a little recovery from Matthew 16. So he is going to load it up. And he says, Verse 21, shall I give him, forgive him up to seven times? Now, you're going, well, up to seven times, that's not too big of a deal. But let me just tell you, Peter comes from the Jewish tradition. The rabbinic tradition was this. You only forgave someone three times. In fact, you kept track of that. They based this on Amos chapter one, where God forgave his enemies three times, but not four. And so based on that, they had this idea that you actually kept track of offenses and you would forgive someone three times, but not four. So what Peter's doing is like, okay, Jesus, I know you're big into this forgiveness deal. I'll tell you what, I'm going to double it. I can, I can do that kind of math. I can times this by two and I'm going to add one. I'm going to make it to that complete number seven. And so that's why he says seven times and he's fully expecting that Jesus is going, whoa, wow, you're pretty gracious, Peter. You have gotten my message about grace. But they are their boat is rocked once again when Jesus comes back and says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whips out the old calculator because his math skills aren't that good. He's like, whoa, Jesus, did you do that 490 times? You know. Don't tell anybody, but I can't even count to 490. How long are they going to keep track of that? I mean, I was doing good on the three. I doubled it 490 times. I can't possibly keep track of that. And that is exactly the point. Jesus is saying, I, I've got a new number. It's a much bigger number. He says, I want you to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. You're no longer going to just keep track. I want you to forgive as often as is necessary. Now, time out. Who in the world would commit a sin over and over and over and offend you that you'd need to be given forgiven 490 times. Do you know anybody like that? Hey, no pointing. I, no, okay. I don't want you looking at your neighbor, your spouse, none of that. Do you know anybody? Uh, you're looking at one. What? And all of a sudden the church prays for Karina at this point. Yeah. You know what? I have sinned. Time and time again, and I find myself going to the Father because it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I've sins of anger, things I've said, things I've thought. Jesus, me again. 
And I've gone and I've confessed that over and over. And you know what? God always forgives us. Every time. Because that is his nature. He is merciful and forgiving. And the point of the matter is, it's not only me, it's you. And what a joy. If you've ever been in bondage to some sort of sin that just seems to have its uh, tentacles wrapped around your neck, you know how this slave, this provincial wanted your relatives to come and to pay and to get you out of prison because they'd see how bad it was and they would either bring money or your family would start liquidating your land to pay off that debt. And that is what they're hoping will happen. That's what this guy's counting on. He wants his $12,000 back. Never mind you that he owed $6 billion. Well, there's something that happens here. Listen to the story and listen to what Jesus points out in verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. This word reported, you see that there? It means to give extensive detail. You see, when there is something that is not right in the kingdom, when someone is not representing the king well or walking and living according to the standards of the king, the whole body, everyone in the kingdom is aware of that. It happens in church. You got someone that goes rogue, someone who won't forgive. They're harboring a, a grudge. They're bitter. And so they're always talking and they're always being subversive and they won't address and work with the issue. They're seeking to cause problems and they're going to tear someone apart. Certainly you won't do it in front of a person's face, but they've got strategic ways and you get around them and it's just kind of like, whoa, they are toxic and they let it spread. And this man that will not forgive this other servant He's become toxic. And so what do you do when you got someone that's totally disturbing the life of a body and a community? You go to the king and you start telling him, Lord, something is wrong and this is occurring. And that's exactly what they do there. Do you notice this in verse 31? It is grievous when you've got someone in the camp who will not live with forgiveness and love. And so they report this to the king. And verse 32, this first servant he gets another audience with the king himself. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. I was gracious to you. You recognized you couldn't pay. I forgave you. You pleaded with me. And look what he says in verse 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? You see, I want you to love and forgive like me. I was merciful to you. I expect it. You owe me to be merciful to the people that owe you in your life. And you have failed. And so, verse 34, the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers, until he should repay all that was owed him. He doesn't say, I'm going to put your family into prison. I'm going to sell them into slavery. He says, no, I'm dealing with you directly. I don't think he's going to saddle him with the debt that he's already been forgiven. Actually, he's going to address something that's far more important than debt. And that is the man's heart. You see, this man owes it to the king to be forgiving because he has been forgiven so much. And so he's handed him over until he will learn that you must forgive like me. Now, we don't know if this man then once again sees that this is a merciful king and once again falls prostrate before him. 
we do know that Jesus is telling this story to drive home this point. Verse 35. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. He says, listen, this is the point of why I'm telling you this. If you will not forgive, you do not understand the forgiveness that I have given to you. I expect that you will forgive from the heart. When we think of heart, we think of emotions, but the heart was really this, this just the, the center of one's ability to reason, their will, their emotion. It was everything. It was the essence of their being. And he says, I expect you to forgive from the heart. Not only to forgive seven times 70, but to forgive from the heart, from the depth of your being. That is the message that he is passing on him. Because remember how this all got started. Peter wanted to know, hey, how is it that I'm supposed to forgive? How many times? Jesus says, I want you to forgive as a lifestyle, and I want you to forgive from the heart. You know what unforgiveness, friends, leads to? It leads to pride and self-righteousness. You think that you're hurting the person that you won't forgive. In reality, you're destroying yourself because unforgiveness, it's like this. It's, it's like it takes over your life. And unforgiveness has this, these two twin cousins called bitterness and anger. And what it does is it eats you alive. It literally tears you up from the inside out. And God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live in light of his love for you and the light of his love in you. And friends, there's many people who will not forgive. They're Christians. They could be folks right here in the church. They could be sitting in the same row as you. And right now they're like, man, this is hitting way too close to home. But they also know, they know the pain of depression and discouragement, relationship breakdowns, And hardships that just seem to come to them because they simply will not forgive. It's like they're going to hold on, but in reality, unforgiveness is holding on to them and it is tearing them apart. That's why Jesus says, you must forgive from the heart. I want you to release them, completely relinquish, no reprisals, no no revenge. I want you to release them. You're going, well... That's humanly impossible. I mean, there's folks in our church that have been hurt tremendously. I could tell stories of abandonment, abuse, complete, complete betrayal, lied to, stolen from, disregarded. And do you know what? Humanly, this is impossible. The only way this could ever be done to forgive is that if you have the king himself in your heart, this is not humanly possible. This is a supernatural act. It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the ability to forgive is only found in our relationship with Christ. And it is through Christ that we can literally forgive another person. But you need to know this. Forgiving, it is inherent to God's character. He is merciful. This is absolutely essential to his being He is merciful. He forgives. But you also need to know that to be forgiving is to be internalized by God's people. He wants us to be those who forgive. So, friends, right now, I I know some of you are like, 
I hear, I hear the Lord. Just like Jesus is looking in the eyes of his disciples, it's like he's looking right through the pages of these, this scripture. He's speaking to my heart. Friend, if you will forgive, this will be a part of your testimony of the greatness of God in your life. You will know a freedom and a release and a joy and a love that you will never know as you hold on to your lack of forgiveness. And so, an unwillingness to forgive, you know what? That's not in keeping with God's character. And furthermore, it's not supposed to be in keeping with God's people. It is Christ and you, the hope of glory, that we're truly able to forgive. You see, sometimes we think that, well, Jesus just wants to forgive us of our sins and just leave us like that, forgiven. And it's a great place to be. But that's really only part of the story. He wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants you to look like his son. He is committed to that process. He who began a good work in you, he is going to bring it to completion and perfection. And a huge fundamental aspect of this for every single one of us is that we come to become forgiving people. I'm sure many of you have heard of this woman named Corrie ten Boom. Some of you have heard of her, not exactly sure where to place her in history. Uh, you need to know that in world, during World War II, she was in a Christian family. Her dad was a watchmaker. Uh, they used to hide Jews in their home while they lived in occupied Holland, where the Nazis moved in, take over Holland. And they would hide these Jewish people in their home because the alternative for these Jewish people would be these concentration camps. But of course, when the Nazis worked, if you even harbored one Jew in your house, you tried to protect them, cover them up you were going to pay faith the exact same penalty. And so it was for Corey and her, sir, and her sister Betsy. They had been caught, they were apprehended, and they were sentenced to the Ravenbrook concentration camp. Well, after uh, the war ended, after 1945, in 1947, Corey went back to Germany and would go to Germany on a mission to tell them of God's forgiveness. She writes of her experiences of what it looked like in 1947 in Munich. When you spoke to people in Germany after World War II, no one said anything. It was always silence. People would keep their heads down. When you spoke of God's forgiveness, it was the message that they most needed, but it was so hard for them to accept. And yet Corey would tell them that God takes our sins and he casts them into the deepest of seas. And he, it's, he remembers them no more, that you are forgiven. And you need to know that because you must experience the forgiveness of God so you can experience his life. Well, she was in this particular church in Munich, Germany, 1947. She gave this message. And as per usual, the people looked down and when it was over, they would just simply stand up and they would pick up their wraps and they would walk out in silence, never saying anything. That was, except this particular time, a gentleman who was wearing an overcoat in the back with this brown hat, he started walking forward against the grain of the crowd of the people that were trying to just get out. She looked, and then in just a flash, it all came back to her. The man who was making his way up this aisle was none other than one of the very guards at Ravensbrook. She, she saw him. All of a sudden, he was, he was in his Navy uniform, and he had that visor-billed hat and the crossbone skulls on it. All of a sudden, she had that flash of seeing that pathetic pile of dresses and all those shoes that were sitting there. 
And her and her sister and all of these other women completely stripped down and naked, walking in front of this guard. He had this leather whip that was uh, onto his belt. She remembers seeing her sisters. This man walks. Her sister was completely so very frail, emaciated from starvation. She could literally see all the ribs of her sister. Her sister eventually died a slow and painful death in that concentration camp. And here came this man. And when he got up to there, he said this to her. Fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he stuck out his hand as if Corey was shaking. Corey's reeling with these images of who this man is. She remembered him and how oh, what a monster he was. And then this guard said, you had mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. This man didn't even know that this is one of the former prisoners standing right here. But he said, but, but since that time, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of all the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips, Fräulein. So would you? Would you forgive me? As he put out his, his hand once more. Corey said it's coldness just gripped her heart. She couldn't even look at this man. She starts fumbling with her pocketbook. She realized that I know that I must forgive. And forgiveness is not based on emotion. But I don't have the heart to do this. I, the very one that brings this message of forgiveness. And then she remembers that back in Holland, she has a home where she takes all these people that had been victimized by the Nazis And she realized that if they did not forgive, they became invalids in their bitterness. Those that did forgive, even if they had great physical scars, they were able to move on and to experience life and to go forward. And yet here is this former guard, his hand. Here's her in her just state of just complete shock. And so she just cried out to God and said, God, help me. I don't feel it, but I can lift my hand. You supply the heart. And she said when she lifted her hand and the former guard and the former prisoner locked hands, she said, I felt a surge. It came down my arm and literally it overwhelmed my body. It brought tears to my eyes and I had never felt the presence of God's love like I did like that. And I said, I forgive you with all of my heart. And for a long moment, the former guard and the former prisoner held hands. And friends, she said, I've never known God's love like I did when I forgave. And friends, that is for us. You and I, you want to experience the depth of God's love? There is a barrier. Your lack of forgiveness. It has to be addressed and has to be addressed now. You've been forgiven everything by Christ. He asked that you would give his forgiveness to those in need and release them. You see, the fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ. And you want to know how to do this? I'll tell you what, next week, I want to help you. I want to walk it through with you how to forgive like this. But do not leave here until you're convinced and you're committed to love and forgive like Jesus asks and empowers. Let's pray. Lord, 
I want to thank you for your amazing grace. Forgiveness. We have it when we turn and trust Jesus and turn from our sin. And we can give it when we just simply take you by your word and live by your spirit. And so we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.